Do you know why they end up in hell, separated from God forever and ever? It's not because God has sovereignly chosen them to go to hell. It's because they made the decision not to receive God's one and only escape out of hell. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is 2023, this year that we find ourselves in. I still find it hard to believe that we've made it 23 years since Y2K. I mean, a whole generation has now sprung up. Um, People are here today, growing people that weren't around in Y2K. And I find that kind of strange. But uh, that's life, isn't it? Every 20 years, we seem to get a new generation on the scene. So 2023... Is been quite a year, and we've tried to make the word upgrade key part of our lives in this year. And why not? We're trying to upgrade our lives for the Lord. You can upgrade a lot of things. Computers need to be upgraded, that's for sure. Um, but if you're going to do any kind of upgrading, make it worthwhile. Do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the very best motivation to upgrade anything. So my message today is a a life-changing summer vacation. How about that? Is that a good name for a a sermon? A life-changing summer vacation. Uh, Because it's June, vacation time is upon us. That's why I want to talk about upgrading your summer vacation. So I'd like to start by asking you this question. Now think carefully. Have you ever had a life-changing summer or summer vacation? Have you ever had a life-changing summer? A man by the name of Errol Catano had a life-changing summer vacation one year. Originally from Guyana, Errol's family moved to Canada and they settled in Toronto. This is back in the 1960s and Errol was just a young man, just a teenager, young teenager. He loved to play table tennis But he wasn't very good. I mean, at best, he was mediocre. So this one particular summer, he decided he would spend his whole summer vacation at the Toronto Table Tennis Club. That took quite some commitment. Um, We have a picture, an old picture. There's Errol Catano there holding one of his many trophies. (laughs) But here's the point. He spent his whole summer vacation at the Toronto Table Tennis Club and it changed his life. He soon became one of the very best players in all of Canada. And back in the 1970s, I got a chance to watch him play. And boy, was he good. He was a tall, lanky kind of a guy and he just had a reach. He could just reach anywhere and almost scoop the ball before it hit the ground and bring it back sailing onto the table. He was amazing. He's still alive. Well, you can put that picture away, thanks. We're talking today about a man from Ethiopia. And this man in our Bible story, he was living a mediocre religious life. But one year, he had a life-changing summer vacation. That's pretty much what he had here. And we're going to learn about that. I'm just wondering, perhaps... You're living a mediocre Christian life. Just nothing new seems to happen. No miracles of God in your life. 
pretty much a mediocre Christian life. Well, the good news is that you too can have a life-changing summer if you'll follow the biblical principles today. And we're going to learn that in just a moment. Let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, we know that you're a God of miracles, but more than that, you're a God of great love and mercy, and you love your children. And we appeal to you, Heavenly Father, in the very name of our Savior Jesus, that you would grant to us a life-changing summer. Over the next couple of months, Father God, please do some amazing things in people's lives. I pray that every one of us, male, female, young and old, every one of us would make such incredible progress that every one of us would see the powerful hand of God in our lives. So help us to learn how this man did it. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our Bible story today about this Ethiopian eunuch man is a powerful reminder that God is willing. He is willing to help all people, regardless of their background, regardless of their circumstances, regardless. God is able and wanting to give them exciting upgrades in life. I want you to take this very seriously. Because the story of the Ethiopian's encounter with an evangelist by the name of Philip is a remarkable testimony to the power of God's grace. Though the eunuch was on vacation in Jerusalem, he had no idea at that point that his encounter with Philip would completely transform his life. Now before we go any further, I suppose we need to point out what does it mean, this word eunuch? What is that? A eunuch is a person who is content to live a single life. He or she has no great desire to be married. And in fact, they prefer being single, knowing that they can devote their lives to a greater cause. The Ethiopian eunuch was an amazing man from Ethiopia, He had a very important political career in Ethiopia. He was well trusted. He was very intelligent. And so he comes on his summer vacation to Jerusalem for the worship. All right. Let's uh, point out two or three simple facts today. Number one, the place of the miracle. Because a miracle happened in this man's life. Look at chapter 8 with me, please. Verse 27. And he, that's Philip, arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning. So here he had finished worshiping, and now he's returning. He's returning, and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. That's Isaiah the prophet. You're probably all holding a copy of the scriptures today, and I hope you are. And it's a wonderful thing to have a copy of the Bible. Perhaps your copy of the Bible was given to you. Perhaps you went out and bought it. This particular Bible that I have, my wife bought it for me 20 years ago. I love this Bible. It's uh, very well made. It's by Cambridge. It has a leather cover on it. I've had it repaired once. 
I use it all the time, all the time, all the time. It has wide margins. I put all my notes in there. I'm forever putting notes in my Bible. But my wife bought this for me 20 years ago, and 20 years ago she paid $120 for this Bible. It's worth more now. Where'd this man get his Bible? Wasn't that easy to get a copy of the Bible back then. You couldn't just go to Walmart and buy a copy of the Bible. We live in an amazing century. Amazing times where we can all own not just one, but multiple copies of the Scripture. The entire canon of God, Genesis to Revelation. We can all own a copy of it. Here's a man that had a copy of the Old Testament, at least the book of Isaiah. I'm persuaded to believe that there were, if not the entire Old Testament, he had a good portion of the Old Testament. Where did he get that from? That would have cost a lot of money. Bibles back then were printed one at a time by hand. There were no printing presses, no photocopiers. Trained scribes would spend one year making a copy of the Old Testament Scriptures. It had to be perfect or it was no good. They would spend an entire year, a professional man's wages for an entire year. Translated in today's economy, we we might be looking in the neighborhood of $75,000. Would you spend $75,000 for a copy of the Old Testament? Not many of us could, even if we wanted to. Here's a man who owned his own Bible. So it gives you a little idea This was a man of wealth and power. And so here he is. He's finished worshiping in Jerusalem. And he's now making the journey back home to Ethiopia. And he's in his chariot. Some of the chariots were just small with two wheels on it. You know, and they were used to uh, fight wars and battles. But a lot of chariots were much bigger They were more like carriages, if you will, pulled by horses, of course. And there was comfortable seating inside. And so here was a powerful man, quite some wealth. He wasn't sitting in a tiny little chariot about the size of this pulpit with two wheels on it. That wasn't what he was doing. He, He was sitting in comfort. And there was at least a couple of seats in that chariot because he invited Philip. To come up. And so here we're talking about a man in whose life God was working. And I want you to to understand that God works in people's lives. Often we use the expression the sovereignty of God, where God is working in details and working behind the scenes and making things happen. But this man here. This man, the Lord had been working in his heart, I think, for some time. God put it in his heart to go and visit Jerusalem. So he went on his vacation, and he goes to visit Jerusalem for to worship. And God is still actively visiting in people's hearts and working behind the scenes in the details. A man I led to Christ many, many years ago. 
he felt that he needed to find the Lord. He didn't know anything about our church. He saw some advertisement for a church in the paper. And I'm talking 40 years ago. He got in his car and he was going toward this other church when he saw our sign out on the road and he just turned right in. And that particular Sunday, he sat there, he heard the preaching and the word of God and I was able to lead him to Jesus Christ after that. And that's just how God works. Sometimes people end up at church and they're not quite sure why. Well, God knows what he's doing in people's hearts and lives. God is calling people to himself. And God was working in this man's life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're talking God sovereignly working in the details. Now God's sovereignty does not mean that you and I are robots. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that at all. That's an old Calvinist idea. Where people are robots. We've got no will of our own. And all we can do is just whatever God tells us to do. That is not true. We have a free will. We can accept and we can reject and we can make decisions. All too often we make the wrong decisions. We don't wait upon God enough. But the point here is that God will not bulldoze your will to get something he wants done. He works within the context of man's free will. Sovereignty means that God can see whose heart is seeking after him and God will arrange the details to help that person find God. That's the sovereignty of God. So God put it in this Ethiopian man's heart to come to Jerusalem on his vacation. Why did God do that? Because this man was seeking God. He was obviously seeking God. He was reading the Bible. He invited Philip to come up and help him. He had a great heart for God. By the way, it was also God's sovereignty in verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. That's more of God's sovereignty working in Philip. Now, Philip could have said, No way, I'm not going to do it. Jonah did that. God told Jonah to go talk to the Ninevites. Jonah said, No, thank you, and went the other way. Do you remember the story? Yeah, God continued to work in Jonah's life till Jonah finally repented. But Jonah wasn't a robot. Philip wasn't a robot. The Ethiopian wasn't a robot. These are men with free will. They could decide what they're going to do. By the way, do you know why men and women end up in hell? Do you know why they end up in hell, separated from God forever and ever? It's not because God has sovereignly chosen them to go to hell. It's because they made the decision not to receive God's one and only escape out of hell. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible clearly teaches us all have sinned. We're all sinners. We deserve to be separated from God. And God has a place He initially prepared for the devil and his angels. And it's a place called hell. Men and women weren't supposed to end up in hell, but they end up in hell by rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the substitute for their sins. They say, no, not interested in him. 
or they say, no, I got better ideas. But whatever, the bottom line is, they don't repent of their sin and receive Christ. What happens? They end up in hell. That's their own decision. No one in hell will ever be able to point a finger at God and say, I don't deserve to be here. You put me here. I, was, I, I should be in heaven. I, I, I would have sought you. I would have, I would have loved Jesus if you would given me the chance. No. People are in hell today because they made a decision. People are in heaven today because they made a decision. God works with the free will of men and women. That's very important. And so we see God's sovereignty leading Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch at the right time and at the right place in order to share the right message with him, the message of the gospel. Now when Philip approached and and asked him here in verse 30, he said, uh, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand? You're reading the Bible. Do you understand what you're reading? And of course the Ethiopian man replied, No, I don't. How can I except some man guide me? I need some help here. Did you know that most all unsaved people do not understand the Bible? Did you know that? Most all unsaved people do not understand the Bible. That also means religious people who reject Jesus Christ, they reject the deity of Jesus Christ, they reject what Jesus did on the cross, they reject all of that, they got their own ideas, and they come and knock on your door and try and talk to you about the Bible, they don't even know what they're talking about. Because unsaved people, their minds are darkened. There's a deadness in their soul toward God. They cannot understand spiritual things. The Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus had to deal with is ample illustration. Those turkeys, they didn't understand what the scriptures were saying and Jesus had to point it out to them. So often they got it wrong, they got it wrong. Unsaved people don't understand what the Bible is saying and neither did this Ethiopian man here. Well, listen, have you ever, I mean, things turned out good for this man, this Ethiopian, and have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like everything was coming together? Have you ever had a happy experience like that? And maybe you thought, boy, the hand of God is surely on me. Well, our Ethiopian eunuch's um, encounter with Philip was one such moment. Now, he may have thought that he was simply on a vacation, going to Jerusalem. But God had a greater purpose for his life, greater than he could ever imagine. And God works the details of a situation, for those that are willing, at least anyhow. God sees our hearts. He can see your heart right now if you have a desire for him. He knows if we have a desire to know him more, to experience him more. If we're crying out to God, and that's a key right there. If in your heart you cry out to God, maybe not every day, but every week you're crying out to God, God sees that. That impresses God. And God will come to your rescue. And He will work in the details. He really will. He did in this man's life. He can and will in ours. But, I want you to notice the context Because this is very important, folks. We're talking about upgrading your summer vacation. 
I want you to notice the whole context of this life-changing event that happened to our Ethiopian friend. The man went to church. He went to the house of worship. He went there to reach out to God. And this was really the place of the miracle. We're talking about a miracle that happened in a man's life. And the context is this man went to church. The miracle, in my opinion, the miracle would never have happened if the Ethiopian had decided to spend his vacation water skiing on the Mediterranean. This miracle would not have happened. In my opinion, this miracle would never have happened had the Ethiopian decided to go climb Mount Everest. In my opinion, this miracle would never have happened in this man's life if he had decided to go exploring the Egyptian tombs of the pharaohs. Is there anything wrong with water skiing? No. Is there anything wrong with climbing a mountain? No. Is there anything wrong with exploring the Egyptian pharaoh tombs? No. But... It won't give anyone the same life-changing experience that God can give them in church. The church is the house of God. God's people get together. Jesus Christ is found in the midst. You won't get that if you're out water skiing on the lake. You won't get that in other, in other types of leisure vacation mode. This Ethiopian man, he spent his summer vacation. He went to church. That's the context here. He went to church. And therefore, be faithful. This summer, be faithful to your home church. Maintain a priority on attending church this summer. Honor the Lord, and the Lord will honor you. And if you do go away for a week or a month, well, listen, find a good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and attend And this is one of the best ways to upgrade your summer vacation this year. Is to make a commitment in your heart. Make it today. In your heart. Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you this summer. I'm not going to fizzle in the sizzle. When it gets hot out, I'm not going to abandon and forsake the house of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That doesn't mean if you happen to be sick, you can't come to church. It doesn't mean if you're scheduled to work one Sunday and you can't come to church. It doesn't mean that. And by the way, it didn't mean it during COVID either. Those were extenuating circumstances. But it means forsaking. It means turning your back on willingly, saying, no, I'm not going to go to church. No, I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to go this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to go to church. That's forsaking. And God tells us not to do that. But God does promise to bless us if we show ourselves faithful. So if you happen to be on vacation someplace, and there is no good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, tune in. Tune in on the internet. That's what we've got an internet ministry for. Now, someone watching today ought to write in and say amen to that. (laughs) All right, point number two in our story is the power of the miracle. We looked at the place of the miracle. We're looking at the power of the miracle. And folks, understand this. God is actually always looking for people that He can bless. He is always looking for someone, male or female. He's always looking for someone that He can do a miracle for. It says in Second Chronicles 
chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God's eyes are looking and looking throughout the whole earth. Who can I show myself strong in? Can he show himself strong in us? It says here, whose heart is perfect toward him. How is your heart toward him? Are you crying out to God? Are you reaching out to God? That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for backsliders who are just more interested in worldly things. He's looking for people who want to love him. The Ethiopian man was wanting to love God. The miracle that the man from Ethiopia needed was the miracle of salvation on how God is able to rescue a soul from going to hell and change his or, his or her eternal destiny to now going to heaven. That's a miracle, folks. No doubt this man from Ethiopia, I have no question, he was a good man. I'm sure he would have been a wonderful neighbor. Hello, neighbor, how are you? Just fine, good to see you. I think this man would have been a great neighbor. I think he was a good man. He was an honest man, obviously, to have the position of looking after all the treasures of the queen. I believe he was a hard-working man. I believe this man loved God, even though he wasn't saved yet. I believe this man wanted to know God better, but he wasn't saved. He was lost. And folks, Salvation makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in a person's life. All the difference. Perhaps you've heard of the famous evangelist D.L. Moody from the 1800s. He was incredibly used of God. One day after he was preaching, a woman came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, can I talk with you? He said, certainly. She said, I've listened to you a few times now and you talk about everyone needing to be saved. But Mr. Moody, my husband, my husband is a good man. My husband is a good father. He's a good husband. He has everything except salvation. And Moody looked at her and said, yes, madam. And a corpse laying in a casket may look good and may be dressed in good clothes, and we might say the corpse has everything except life. Life makes all the difference, doesn't it? Salvation is life, and it makes all the difference. Now look, please, at chapter 8, verse 26. We have the angel of the Lord speaking to Philip, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Look at verse 29. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? The man said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, what's that next name? Jesus. Isaiah is the place that the Ethiopian was reading, and Jesus is who Isaiah was talking about. Wow. He didn't understand because most unsaved people do not understand what the Bible says. So Philip explained to him the passage was talking about Jesus Christ. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. A prophecy of God. Philip shared the gospel with the Ethiopian. What is this gospel? The word gospel means good news. Listen, if you had cancer so bad that you were stage four, you were about to die, and somehow someone came and brought the cure for cancer and offered it to you, would you like to be cured? Would you like to have your life back? You have a decision to make. Yes, you have a decision to make. You can say, yes, I want it, or you could say, no, I don't want it. You might be thinking, well, who in their right mind would say no? There's a lot of people that would say no. There's a lot of people determined to die. They, they want suicide or assisted suicide, or they want God to kill them, or they want policemen to shoot them and kill them or something. There are people bent on dying, but they're in the minority. Most people have the will to live. And I'm persuaded that all of us here today would probably say, yes, I'll take that cure, thank you. And you take it, and sure enough, it cures you. You say, it's a miracle. It's the greatest news. Maybe you would take it upon yourself to run to people that you know that have stage 4 cancer and say, look, I was just like you. Here's the cure. Will you take it? That would be a pretty fun job to have, wouldn't it? You know, I don't believe in the faith healing of Benny Hinn. I don't believe in those faith healers at all. Follow the money, folks. These guys are stinking rich, multi, multi, multi-millionaires. Oh, is there anything wrong with being a millionaire? No. Just don't be a faith healer multi-millionaire. Just don't be one of those. Because those guys are phony balonies. If they were true, why don't we see them going floor to floor in the hospitals, curing people and healing people? We never see that. Never. Because there's no TV cameras there. There's no controlled environments there for the faith healer to get away with his tricks. But if you had the cure to stage 4 cancer, wouldn't you run down to Surrey Memorial? Wouldn't you run down into the cancer departments? Wouldn't you go and visit every hospital you could? Isn't that what you would do? Because you have good news. Folks, we have good news. We don't have to die and go to hell. We don't have to be separated from God. There's good news. That's what the word gospel means. Jesus Christ. He stood up and said, I will be the sacrifice. I'll be the scapegoat. Lay all of the punishment of sin upon me. And so being God in the flesh, Jesus is able to do this. And on the cross, God the Father laid on him all of the sin of the world. How did he do it? I don't know. How did he endure it? I couldn't tell you. But I know he did it. And in those hours that he spent on the cross, he paid for every last sin that you and I have ever committed. 
And now the offer is, will you receive the cure? Will you receive heaven as a free gift? Will you receive Jesus Christ? God put into Jesus eternal life. Whosoever hath the Son hath life. Whosoever hath not the Son of God hath not life. Boy, that's good news. Every man, woman, and young person can be born again. That is good news. And this is what the Ethiopian needed to hear. And he was so moved by the gospel message that right there and then he exercised saving faith. He believed what Philip was telling him was the truth. He immediately received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And the Bible says he wanted to get baptized right away. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism comes after salvation. No one gets to heaven by baptism. It's not faith plus baptism. If that's what you were taught, you were taught wrong. It's faith alone. That's what saves the soul. Baptism is something else. It's something else. Well, just like the Ethiopian, many people today, I believe, are searching for meaning in life. They're searching for purpose to their lives. Many of them read books. Many of them attend seminars or watch YouTubes trying to find fulfillment in their jobs, in their relationships, in their lives. But ultimately, only one thing can truly satisfy the human soul and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the secret. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change lives, transform them. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to heal broken hearts. It has the power to bring hope to those who are lost. There are plenty of atheists in the world who reject the concept of God. But I'll have you know that atheism has never healed a broken heart. Atheism has never given anyone hope as they stood at the graveside of a loved one. Atheism has never cured the alcoholic or the drug addict. Atheism has never brought a fractured marriage back together or a broken family. Atheism is bankrupt. Jesus Christ is rich and alive and is able to do miracles in people's lives. And the wonderful thing is that he wants to do that. When Philip explained the passage from the Bible and shared the good news of salvation, the Ethiopian had the choice to accept it or reject it. And he chose to believe it and receive it. And he was born again. And he had a life-changing summer experience right then and there. And likewise, your summertime miracle just might be the miracle of salvation. It's possible you may be here today and you've never been born again. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You know about Him, but you don't know Him intimately, personally. Imagine someone who's never met my wife. And they claim to know my wife. Well, I would beg to differ. I know my wife. Been married to her over 42 years. Dated her four years behind that. Since 1977, we've been a hot item, her and me. I'd say I know my wife. But a stranger might know about my wife. 
But until he act or she actually meets and is introduced to my wife, they don't know my wife. Many people know about Jesus Christ. But until they repent of their sin, recognizing that they're separated from God, and receive Jesus Christ into their heart, they don't really know Him. They just know about Him. What a difference. Salvation makes all the difference. Perhaps your life-changing summer miracle might be the need of power over sin. Maybe you're struggling with something. Perhaps your summertime miracle would be peace in your family. Or perhaps direction for your life. Or possibly you're here and you feel the need to marry. You say, oh, who's going to want to marry me? I'm a dog. No one's going to choose me. Well, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing what God does. These are miracles that God can perform. And God is a God of miracles who cares for you and for me. And only wants the very best for us. He has the answers, folks. What you and I need to do is submit to Him. Submit your life to God today. Reach out to Him. Cry out to Him as the Ethiopian man did. Start today and it won't be long before you begin to sense His presence. Quickly, we have to finish up. We've looked at the place of the miracle. We've looked at the power of the miracle. But I want quickly to look at the proof of the miracle. If you look at verse 36... Chapter 8, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In the context of 2,000 years ago, what the Ethiopian was saying was he believed that Jesus is God in the flesh. And from the preaching of Philip, he would have understood Jesus died on the cross. I mean, all this was contemporary news back in those days. The Ethiopian would have heard about this. He would have known about this Jesus of Nazareth. He just needed a man to come and put the pieces together for him. And when that happened, he gladly wanted to be saved. But my point is this. He wanted to be baptized, didn't he? He brought this up himself. Philip never told him, now you need to believe and be baptized. Philip never told him that. Philip was telling him about Jesus as the Savior, and he needed to receive the Savior. This man, through other means, had heard about baptism. Baptism was far more common in those parts of the the world back then than it is today. Today, we know very little about baptism compared to them back then. Now, the Bible tells us and explains what baptism is all about. But, here's my point. He was obedient. The Ethiopian, after he received Christ, he was obedient. Obedience to God is always proof of the miracle in our lives. We're talking the proof of the miracle. Obedience is always done by faith and in what God says in the Bible. And so the final point from our story of the Ethiopian eunuch is the importance of obedience to God. The eunuch did not hesitate to obey God's command to be baptized after he heard the gospel and was saved. And he did it by faith. 
He saw the need to publicly identify himself with Jesus Christ. That's all that baptism is. It publicly identifies you with Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Bible teaches that baptism is for saved, born-again people like this Ethiopian eunuch. That's why baby baptisms are no good. A lot of churches still baptize babies. And they do it in a variety of ways. Some will take one drop of water, put it on the forehead, make a sign of a cross. Maybe that happened to some of you here today. You had no choice in the matter. Your parents did it for you. Other babies are baptized with a scoop of water and it's poured on their head. In some of the Greek Orthodox churches, they take the baby and they plunge the baby completely underwater. Sometimes three times and the kid is screaming. The parents are standing there beaming. They're taught that baptism is connected with salvation. And it's not. Babies cannot repent and believe. Only older people. Children are able to repent and believe. Teenagers can repent and believe. Adults can repent and believe. Middle-agers can repent and believe. Seniors can repent and believe. But babies cannot repent and believe. That's why if you were ever so-called baptized as a baby, it means nothing to God. A pastor I knew told me a story about a lady in his church. Uh, she wasn't a member, but she was attending. But she was saved. And uh, she, she came up to the pastor and she asked him, uh, I was uh, uh, baptized as a baby. Do I need to get baptized again? And you know what he told her? And this was a good pastor. He told her, no. She was asking, do I need to get baptized again? And he said, no. And she asked, why? And he says, because you were never baptized in the first place. If you were baptized as a baby, let's just call that water under the bridge. <laughs> Pardon the pun. It means nothing to God. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then it's God who asks you to be baptized to publicly identify yourself with Jesus Christ. You see, watch my two hands. This hand will represent Jesus. This hand will represent you or me. When we get saved, we identify, we connect with Jesus Christ so much that when Jesus died on the cross, we died with Him. When Jesus rose from the grave, we rose with Him. And that's what baptism pictures. The death, the burial, the resurrection. That's pictured in your life. For a Christian to say, well, I'm just glad I'm saved. I want nothing to do with baptism. You'll have to answer to God for that. Because God specifically tells us after we're saved, we need to be baptized. If God has touched your heart on that matter, maybe you might want to talk to one of the pastors after and we'd be happy to answer any of your questions. We have to finish up here. The Ethiopian's baptism shows us obedience to God after he's saved. It's just as important to obey God before you're saved and it's important to obey God after you're saved. Baptism is a crucial aspect of the Christian walk. 
And we must be willing to submit to God. Remember, this is a decision of your own free will. Sometimes Christians are not seeing the blessings of God upon their lives because they're not willing to be obedient to God and to obey Him in certain areas, such as faithful church attendance, such as tithing, such as regular devotions, such as volunteering time and talents and serving the Lord in some ministry at church. And these are all decisions that you and I as Christians must make of our own free will. Will we obey God? Will we follow God? Will we serve God? Just like the Ethiopian man made those decisions. And we do it all by faith. Faith is something like a bridge that helps connect you with God. That's what faith is. It's something that we do as a way of living. You see, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The just shall live by faith. You and I who are saved, God calls upon us to live by faith. Faith in what God says to be true. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. That's faith. And that's how God has called upon us to live. And so, quickly, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is a powerful reminder that God has a plan for miracles. He has a place for miracles. He has power for miracles. And He has proof for miracles. And that always results in our obedience. Even though the eunuch may have come to Jerusalem on summer vacation, God had a plan for this man's life that would change his life forever. He had the best summer ever. The best. History suggests that this very same Ethiopian man went back to Ethiopia with the gospel and because of him and his efforts there have been churches in Ethiopia unto this very day. And so as you and I approach this summer, this summer season, it can be tempting to prioritize our vacations over attending church. But the story of the Ethiopian eunuch reminds us the importance of worshiping God in church and hearing His Word preached even though we're away from home. Just as the Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship God, let us make it a priority to attend church and seek God's will even when we are on vacation. And this can be a great opportunity to visit new churches and meet new believers and experience the unity of the family of God. So decide in your heart today that this summer you're going to be faithful to being in God's house. Whether you're in town or whether you're miles away on vacation. Let's remember that God's plan for our lives extends beyond our vacations. So let's remain faithful to Him. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But before I do, perhaps there's someone here today that is reaching out to God in his or her heart. And you want to know God better. Can I encourage you that God is not far away? If somehow Philip the evangelist were walking by and you said, Philip, could you please sit down with me? Help me to understand. What does God want from me? What must I do? I suggest to you that Philip would share with you the very same gospel that he shared with the Ethiopian man. Philip would share with you that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. 
Philip would share with you that the wages of sin, the payment on sin, is death. That means separation from God forever. Philip would share with you that God came to earth. His name was Jesus. And on the cross, He made a payment for every wicked, heinous, creepy, immoral, ungodly thing you've ever thought of or done. All of your sin he took upon himself. He died and rose again the third day. And Philip would share with you your need to personally repent of your sin and to receive Jesus Christ into your heart as your Savior. And if you are saved, Philip might encourage you, obey God. Live your life in obedience to God. You'll never be sorry. I invite you to close your eyes, bow your head for a time of prayer, if you would do that with me right now. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.